final times I get to say that, I'm just now realizing. So, yes, indeed, welcome back to the Brothers Book Club podcast. You're here with us at the end of the year 2020 for another book club episode. This episode, as all book clubs are, is an analytical deep dive into a work that Amanda and I have read. Joining me is co-host Amanda. Welcome back. Thank you. Always good to have you. And a pick that you made so we can finally celebrate some good literature well chosen. We are ending the year with another book club entry in the, you know, we never named this collection. Not that it really needed one. I feel like it would have been like weird. If it would have felt like tagging on, if we would have called it like the Black Lives Matter book club or you know what I mean? Just like, Mm -hmm. it's not like we meant to, we, it was inspired by that movement, but we didn't want to, I don't know, it didn't need the branding or what have you. Anyway, right. we've been doing works, trying to do one book a month, one longer work a month, doing a book club deep dive episode on something by a black American author. And so covering issues and experiences, we were provoked this year by some of the protesting that happened and some of the just current events in the United States. And so this book club collection now, I think, how many have we done? Six, maybe? Five? Man, yes. Yeah, I've never it, counted. It started with you, right? You were the first one to pick, I think. Yeah. So I think six, maybe. Uh, five yeah. or six. But we've, we've really entered some worthwhile reads into this collection, which will stay up on the feed. And so if you're looking for a great read, regardless of theming or topic, these would mostly make for really good entries anyway. This is our final addition to that collection. After this year, 2021, that sort of mission statement we've been rolling with will be folded into our new podcast and book club endeavor, which we'll talk about at a later time and date. Today, though, let's get excited to talk about something rather dour. As soon as I said excited, I was like, well, (laughs) let's get (laughs) introspective and thoughtful. Let's get critical uh, in the incisive and insightful way about a poetry collection by Dinez Smith which was nominated for the National Book Award. It was a collection of poems that you selected, Amanda, called Don't Call Us Dead. And gosh, I mean, what's the short way to describe these poems? What do you think? Um, just all-encompassing for issues many people suffer through today. Yeah, it's intense for sure. I think visceral yeah. is a word that gets overused, but... The amount of times that violence is described, or at least blood, which mm-hmm. is for a very specific reason in some cases we'll talk about. But yeah. yeah, it's it's a very visceral sort of collection, very visceral book. It would really pair, I mean, if you handed somebody this, which is 90 pages with the the coats that we read, also, right. you know, 100 and some pages, not a bad primer on the the feelings of the time, the sort of state of mind of the time, at least for, you know, certainly for that community and for a pretty large part of the united states so yeah let's start with some highlights we like to start the book clubs with just something we really enjoyed about the work something that stood out to us amanda what stood out to you for in these poems uh for me what really stood out was um the imagery Uh, it can be really haunting but also just the the way that he uses uh, sorry that they use comparisons and um the the language use it's just really unique and just a, a fresh way of looking at um, what they've gone through in their life. Yeah, and thanks for self-correcting. I maybe have already said something in error, I'm sure, but the the author, Dinez Smith, goes by pluralized pronouns. So we'll, we will be using they and them to describe their work. And to the best of my mind, the thing that threw me off, so I learned that today when I was watching a video that they are in or were in, 
and the thing that threw me is that they use the word boy a ton in this collection. Yeah. That's almost like mm-hmm. a motif that they return to or like a some sort of re- repetitive language thing that means a lot of different things. And yeah, right. my in my my brain processing those two things was just struggling a bit. So anyway, um, <laughs> feel free to correct me. I'll do the same. And yeah, that's yeah. in case the listener was curious as to why you did that. That is why. And so we'll continue to do our best. We'll, we'll continue to do the right thing and use the right ones and just try and stay mindful of it. Just thought that um, bore mentioning. Yeah, it's yeah. an incredible highlight too. Haunting is the word. I put startling, but you could pick any number of extreme adjectives to do the job. I thought right. the, the juxtapositions in a lot of these poems that they wrote are striking. They're, it's really startling stuff. You'll end a line and head to the next one. And after a while, you get the sense of that you can never expect anything really, or that you should expect things that will shock you, that will startle you and kind of shake you into understanding. And so right. I think you're, you're either going to leave some of the poems feeling shaken maybe disturbed a little bit and then some of them just leave you with more of a kind of general ponder ponderance wonderment something like that Mm -hmm. but it's definitely not something to be read it being the collection it's not light work you know and then that way i think it fits well with the coats they they would be something you could hand someone and and think you know you really need to sit with this for a while and you know read it with yeah patience and kind of a slower pace i think so yeah, yeah the, you definitely cannot zoom through these poems yeah or it it would be kind of pointless to do so you know it kind of yeah. defeat the purpose of the intense like inter introspective nature of a lot of them and so mm-hmm. yeah i just think it wouldn't be the collection would be kind of not enjoyed that way yeah that was that was my highlight too we'll then move to the fill in the blanks amanda let's talk about some blanks we did decide this before the pod, and we're deciding to go with the, I'm not even going to call it a lighthearted fill-in-the-blank, but definitely not a, a super serious one. The fill-in-the-blanks we used to get the book club episode started are, are meant to be a little bit more like fun, just like a light connection to the work, something, you know, gives us a little interpersonal background and chatter. I'll admit it's tough in this collection, honestly, because it, the subject matter is incredibly serious at every moment. I don't think there was one. I, there's a lot of moments, images, and peoples in these poems that are that are there are moments of beauty and celebrations of that and celebrations of life. But it's also, again, often juxtaposed with really horrific things. So doing this, just we didn't want to seem, you know, dismissive of the, of the tone. Right. But we were inspired. By, there was a line in one of the poems when he's at a party, and the part of the poem reads, We drink hen, hold the wall, graze an elbow, and pray it last forever. You know, having a little bit of a... I feel like that. it was just such a relatable fly on the wall at a party, just trying to... You're trying to connect with somebody, you're desperate for it, you know, but you're not bold enough. And in this case, I believe this is tied up in sort of the repression of homosexuality in the community mm-hmm. he was in. Like, it, it, there's a shame and a stigma, so... You know, he he wants the craves the attention, but also is suppressed and shamed. And so, anyway, our fill in the blank based on that line is: at a crowded house party, you will most likely find me blank. So, Amanda, what is your role? And I guess we can interpret it. I was thinking you could interpret this: what would you have done at a house party, presumably in college around that age? I think he's reflecting on some of that age group stuff or twenties. Mm-hmm. Or you could yeah. do today and interpret it how you want, Amanda. What do you say? <laughs> like I could make it to a house party today. I know um, <laughs> your house is a party now. Your daughter makes yeah. sure of it. <laughs> you are yeah, the exactly. you're the party host every day. Yep. <laughs> um, but um, 
I guess I would be, um, I'm, I'm, I tend to be a people watcher. Um, I'm not very good at, um, meeting new people because I am super shy. So I would be that person if there's like an outdoor area, like an outdoor seating area, I would be kind of like off to the side, nursing a drink and just kind of like watching people, but not in a creepy way. Sure. <laughs> Waiting to graze an elbow. You mean you're an elbow grazer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. It's a, it's a very, especially at a large house party, those social bubbles yeah. can be hard to burst. Yeah, for sure. My reaction is largely the same. I, if I have even one in, I'm sort of, oh gosh, there's like a famous metaphor analogy here. I think it's the, if you give a, you know, mouse a cookie analogy, or if you give someone an inch, they'll take a mile. Yeah, I think yeah, at yeah. a large social gathering, that is my vibe. I just need someone I know to get me an in, even if it's a group, if it's if they're in a huge crowd of 10 strangers, as long as I have some interpersonal la- jump pad, launch pad to like toss me in there, I'll go from there. You know, like I'm comfortable enough around people. I think like I feel like at a large house party, I'd probably be amongst a crowd of some kind. But I have definitively been what you described too. When that doesn't happen, if there's not one kind of just just wriggle me in somewhere, if that mm-hmm. doesn't occur, then yeah, I'm definitely not going to interact with anybody. <laughs> like yeah. I've happily been that person at a party too, uh, clinging to the wall and sipping a drink. And so <laughs> I think it for me it's pretty. Ra- there are two radically different outcomes, and both have been true for sure. Hmm. So yeah, I have a hard time talking to strangers. To me is horrifying talking to strangers after a personal introduction i feel 100 fine with and i don't know why that is <laughs> uh, it's a very strange thing but there's like such a barrier in my brain so yeah yeah hmm. so i could be doing either at a crowded house party probably just <laughs> you know what i'd be doing and i was doing this in college too no shame in it i'd be complaining about how loud it is like i just never i was never i don't like you know I'm probably loud on this pod, but when your baseline volume at a loud bar party is just screaming, you know, nothing ever Mm. really gets said of of any interest. (laughs) You're mostly just like trying to keep it down below the music and survive, I guess. Yeah, that's a good point. It it can be awkward because you just feel like you're constantly just yelling at a person. Yeah. Yeah, it was not, not the register of social interaction I prefer, but the line, it was quite evocative and I... Yeah, the kind of loneliness you feel and you inwardly are so desperate for something cool to happen with, a you know, like yeah. meet somebody or, you know, in college, it's a lot of hooking up or whatever, however you want to phrase it. Is that what the kids say these days? <laughs> whatever. <laughs> but you want to meet someone, you know, you want to, even if it's just to like make a new friend, whatever. But yeah, and then inwardly you're desperate, but outwardly you're, you got to be cool. You right. Just sip, sip your Hennessy, I guess, which I did not do, but <laughs> to each their own. Let's now talk through some text-based questions. We also like to begin the book clubs with some back-and-forth ping-pong questions where we try and dig into the work and talk through our reactions to it and the specificities of it. I suppose I should say now officially, I don't think I said this up front. I, I know I said the book club is an analytical deep dive. We will be talking about the entire collection, which is, again, called Don't Call Us Dead, that we're going to—I don't know if you can spoil a poem. That's such a strange thing that I have to say in today's culture, but we're going to talk about everything. So if you want to discover these on your own, then don't listen to this and go read them. And if you don't mind, then keep listening, and we're happy you're here. But anyway, let's get into the questions and dig into the text. Do you want to start with one, Amanda, or do you want me to start? I feel like I've been putting it on you. (laughs) 
It doesn't matter to me. Whichever, whichever way you prefer. Well, then I'm th- I'll throw one at you then. Um, All right. I'm going to start with my third question. At, the poems can be quite violent, though not in terms of though there is plenty of person on person violence. There's also a lot of talk of blood. There's a lot of talk of his blood, or sorry, their blood. Largely because, and this is well known, we're not digging, there's no journalism happening here. They were diagnosed with HIV. And a lot of these poems, I get the feeling, especially in the back half, are responses to that diagnosis. And so Mm -hmm. there's just a lot of blood talk. And again, some of it is violence, some of it is just basic human biology talk. Did you find any of it especially poignant? Was there a moment of that discussion that stood out or you found really instructive or meaningful? What stood out to me and kind of it still is the the image that is in the back of my mind when I think of this collection is um, the the imagery of um, the splitting in half when um, when they have... um, intercourse with another person yeah, they yeah. say um that i think that there's one image of like turning into a split pig specifically right that one has been kind of like just sitting in the back of my mind since i finished this collection um because i think that it's it's an interesting image and it's an interesting piece of like violence that goes along with like ecstasy for them right so there's yeah yeah the the sometimes it can be painful when you have um sex and then but it also that that pain can translate into even like more pleasure and then also it's the the vulnerability right you're not only you know is it could it be painful but also like you're splitting yourself as in like you are showing the insides of yourself. You are just making yourself completely vulnerable to another person. Um, yeah. So I thought that that was just, for me, it was just something that really, really stood out to me. Yeah. And I think it almost felt in that description, sacrificial would be another word. And I'm pretty sure language around that comes up in these poems again, in terms of just, yeah, they feel like they're giving themselves unto another and it's a, it's a sacrifice. It's, it's a blood bloody one. It's there's talk of gods and there's sort of, there's a couple of mythological things evoked in these two. And so, yeah, no, Mm -hmm. I I think that's, it it was really striking. I remember that too. I was trying to find the poem just now as to where that one was. And I, I couldn't, I was just, you know, flipping really quickly through them, but yeah, no, I remember that image too. Very, he, and I think he followed it up with, I, there was some kind of like maybe really explicit sexual reference to come or something. It's just, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of, you see a lot of language paired and again, juxtapose is the word I would use here that is, yeah. are things that you would not maybe expect all the time. The like violence with sex, blood with semen. And it just, there are these things that come together that it feels quite painful for them at least right. at times for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It seems like in this one, violence and love, are, are never too far apart, which befits really the that opening poem that talks about just kind of the history. It's, it's almost like this inner dialogue or monologue or something between two people goes through some of the history of being black in America, African-American mm-hmm. experience. And those things seem interwoven in a way uh, for the, a portion of that community for that within the history of that those people like that seems brutally interwoven and something that maybe you can never extract from 
the other, unfortunately. Right. Any questions you want to start with? Throw something out there? Um, I, I, mine have been like super generic because I wasn't sure how deep we wanted to get into some of these poems. As deep as um, we want. Well, <laughs> we can do whatever it's a book club. <laughs> um, so let's see here. I, I guess uh, talking about the, the order of, um, these poems, you mentioned that you noticed that, um, uh, towards the end there was more, um, I guess, discussion about the, about their HIV diagnosis and the feelings associated with that. Yeah. So I was just wondering, like, based on, like, there's so many, several poems in here. What, what do you think the, the organization was meant to do for the reader? It's very difficult to tell, but I did actively think about it Mm -hmm. because the collection is broken pretty clearly into three chunks. There's because yeah. there's a page break with a symbolic kind of little inner little, you know, bit of I don't know, art or something. I was trying to think of the right word for this, but there's clearly yeah. breaks between certain collections of these poems. I thought maybe at the end, that final section was supposed to be the more outwardly political, more like current events related. But then mm. earlier in a different collection, he had the Dear White America. It was it looked like a paragraph to me. Then online, I found him reading it kind of like a slam poem, and it made about a million times more sense hearing, or sorry, hearing they read it. Um, I know I just Mm -hmm. said the wrong thing. I'm sorry. Um, But hearing them read it, it made it like it it really came alive because I just read it as sort of a paragraph, kind of this run-on style stream of consciousness paragraph, which had some intriguing moments, but I felt very neutrally to it. It was just kind of like, okay, that's just a here's like a quick journal entry or something, but the way right. it's read, it, it, you know, it's like thunders then when, when you see right. that version. So if you are interested in that poem and his, their performance of it, go to YouTube and look up Denez Smith, dear white America. It got almost half a million views. So it must've been, must've gone viral or something at some point. But at any rate, that made the organization make no sense then to me. <laughs> so I can say my, <laughs> my, in my final analysis, I don't know, and I can't say that it mattered too much. The only thing I would say that matters going in is that you have to know, I really think the HIV thing is significant thematically to this, that if you didn't know that going in, I could see some of the blood imagery being deeply misread in terms of Mm -hmm. it being... Now, granted, maybe this isn't deeply misreading. Maybe this is deeply thoughtful and and it like doubles as connective tissue. But I could see all that stuff swapping for ancestry to slavery, ancestry to black American experience, what those lives have been like in in America. There's a way you could misread that to think... Okay, he's he's pairing. They are pairing these things together. Why are they doing this? And so, anyway, to me, that was the. It's not a skeleton key to unlock the the meaning of everything. But if you mm-hmm. read this not knowing that they were diagnosed with HIV, it would be. I think it would profoundly change some of the way you'd have to interpret some of this work. I don't know if you right. agree with that. Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't. Other than the. Or how about for your interpretation of the structures? Then I. I don't have anything deeply insightful for you. I thought maybe the political thing in the ba- that very back end, but there's plenty of political, outright political stuff early on. Yeah, the I was thinking that it was meant to kind of uh, bookend, right? So like the beginning, the first 
poems and the last poems are outward facing and deeply political where um, they discuss um, you know uh, police brutality the um, inequality um, jail time all that stuff yeah, um, yeah. that that outward facing political like these are the things that are affecting my community and nothing is being changed. And then in the middle is where we see their personal, their, their diagnosis, their struggles with um, their, their personal life and stuff like that. So I saw it as kind of like a bookend. And I think that, okay. And perhaps this is me reading it, reading too much into it. uh, But I, I thought that that could relate to, um, the some of the earlier poems where Smith is pointing out that uh, especially my one of my favorite poems, which was the dinosaur poem. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, one. Very memorable one. Yeah, one of the <laughs> yeah one of the more of because a lot of the material is so thematically linked that I coming away from this, you know, give me a year from now. I don't know mm-hmm. if I'll remember a single one of these, maybe that one though, or maybe the elegy one at the end was another one, but yeah. The, so I, I thought of, um, by the end, I thought of the, the dinosaur poem because in the dinosaur poem, they are talking about how every aspect of, their community is politicized, right? Everything yeah, right. cannot just be a simple life. Everything has to take on this deeper meaning and it's this deeper fight. So I thought that maybe that poem was kind of like a reflection of the organization of mm, this collection. Okay. I, to me, I'll give happily the far more crass interpretation, which is he won a significant award for the first poem in this collection. So it's the first poem. <laughs> So there you it's go. It's the longest poem for sure. It is. And it's a great poem. Yeah, I thought yeah. it was probably the best. And so when I saw that later, I think I saw that later on that it was maybe in the New Yorker article I pulled from, like they mentioned that, the award winning or something. But anyway, that to me, that's a simpler reading of just, let's get that one out there. It's, you know, the strongest, most re- strongest, whatever, it's art, most recognized <laughs> work. It's the most familiar or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'll throw one more question at you before we dig into some quotes, maybe. Yeah. Both of the questions I have left are about literary elements and specifically poetic elements. Let's, Since it is poetry, let me hit you with a poetry-specific question. Sure. They, oh, see, I typed the pronoun in wrong, too, in the document. See, I almost trapped myself. My own, my own ignorance and foolishness <laughs> almost got me again. <laughs> Not for the last time. <laughs> Good grief. Anyway, it's clear that they love to pair their verse whenever possible. That is the, to me anyway, was the dominant thing. So many lines are in pairs. But... Yeah. Most of those lines don't end with the pair, which in literary terms is called enjambment, when you don't end a, a, a poetic line, instead the grammar or the, the punctuation ends it later with a period or something. Tons of that to me, and granted some poems in here didn't obey any structural stuff. There's a poem of a page that's just filled with overlapping words, and so there's some experimentation, but if I had to pick one poetic thing that dominated my mind it was that it was kind of how much attention should i be paying to why these two are paired versus these two why did this one end why did that one not that kind of a thing did that mean Mm -hmm. anything to you did you notice it did you care i did of course like with and one of my uh 
questions was about like how you approach how you personally approach poetry and what you look for in poetry and i'm glad that yeah yeah you and i seem to look for the some of the same things um mm-hmm. but um yeah I, I definitely noticed the um the coupling of some of the images and the coupling of some of the um the ideas and themes and and certain uh word play and in fact, like one of my quotes is based on that, and it's from page 41, which is the poem called Recklessly, which was uh, written for Michael Johnson, who was the, um, he was uh, HIV positive, and then he was jailed um, for a period of time because uh, several people came forward and accused him of not sharing his diagnosis before having unprotected sex with him right um and they were predominantly uh they were white accusers white male accusers Mm. and uh he stated michael johnson stated that he did share his diagnosis with them and so there's a lot of back and forth but the the issue being Mm. like the criminalization of being hiv positive right and the issues with criminalizing that so um So anyway, um, in this poem, uh, I noticed specifically the the cell block blues and the cell count blues. And I just thought that it was such a clever play and uh, a great way to couple it. And there's actually like a paragraph in between, not a paragraph, but like several lines in between uh, the two lines. And you have to like really pay attention to each line. Um, in order to pick on up on the coupling of this, but that shows his intel. Uh, sorry, their intelligence, and it shows their careful attention to detail. And even though, like a lot of the the poems, the structure of these poems is it's experimental, even playful at times. It's it's very carefully and purposefully done, and I really appreciated that. Yeah, yeah, I thought. To me, it it got to me, I don't know, it, it's because I don't know how to respond to some poetry because one, I know I should be reading out loud and two, I'm stubborn and don't because I am a fool <laughs> and I don't follow my own advice. So it's like when I read it on the page, I do struggle with a with hectic enjambment. Like I feel like it was happening here because at that point, my brain's trying to do weird decoding things like, okay, well, is the beginning of each one positive, negative? Are there any patterns there? Is there any, you know, am I not seeing something? Is there a pattern? And at some point you feel like a decoder from a, you know, spy movie, which is just madness. That's not what this is. But my brain <laughs> goes there, you know? And so without without a touch more structure, my brain can kind of fly away. Mm-hmm. But I think if read aloud and seeing them perform it, like I said in that YouTube video, is quite instructive because – you can see and you can kind of start to imagine how they would read it and it helps enormously or it helped me mentally frame it and not worry so much about certain enjambment pairings or certain paired lines and, and paired verse and stuff like that or couplets. And so mm-hmm. I, I think there were times that it was kind of fruitful where I thought, oh, the ending of those previous three couplets were really negative. It's like they end you with some really brutal thing like, you know, one would say like glass or punch or, you know, I'm just making those up but mm-hmm. stuff like that. And so in that, I thought it was kind of rewarding, but I don't know. I You also as a reader don't want to drive yourself too mad trying to find some secret interpretation or whatever. Right. But yeah, it did, it did get to me a little bit and then I kind of stopped stressing about it and just enjoyed more, you know, reading through it. But it, you know, it felt lightly meaningful to me at times too. So I think there's a lot yeah. to, yeah, you could unpack a lot of it there. 
Yeah, well, every single poem, there was a lot to unpack. Even the the sh- the one that looks like it's um, a quiz. Yeah, yes. Even, even it's that a, one, it's... like with the answer and stuff, it was just... Yeah. Yeah. There are a few poems in here that are four lines, maybe three lines. I yeah. know the concluding one's pretty brief too. Mm-hmm. So we've already begun because it's our natures and we can't stop. We've already begun to dig into the text and talk through some of the quotes and meanings. Let's just continue on then. We'll now begin officially the syntax celebration. This is the part of the book club when we like to pull quotes and talk through them, celebrate them, talk through things. I suppose also they could be things we disliked or were confused by. Um, mm-hmm. I'll happily give a quote to start. I know you just gave one of, that you enjoyed, so I'll pick another one. I think I only pulled positive yeah. quotes from this collection. I don't know if you felt the same. I did too. Yeah. yeah. Plenty to contemplate and plenty to react to, so yeah, lots going on. This quote from page 25, let me find it quick, is from the Dear White America performance, which they did on YouTube. Again, just go look that up, Dinesh Smith, Dear White America. They will say it better than I ever could, and I'm not even going to... I'm not going to dare read this in any sort of performative way because I can't and, and just simply will not do it. But seeing them do it is instructive anyway. But I thought there was a little bit of a quote here that that hit me. It was the way, well, there were two things. The way they return to this idea of leaving Earth in this poem, I guess, he said, they mm-hmm. say, I bid you our lives to gamble with no more. I've left earth and I'm touching everything you beg your telescopes to show you. I'm giving the stars their right names and this life and this new history or in this new story in history, you cannot steal or sell or cast overboard or hang or beat up or drown or own or redline or shackle or silence or cheat or choke or cover up or jail or shoot or jail or shoot or jail or shoot or ruin this. If only this one is ours. And it's a really striking ending to something that kind of, and like a lot of their poetry, veers back and forth between topic and idea. But I thought it was mm-hmm. as clear a sign-off. Now, granted, clear is in their, their, their interstellar traveling. They're going to, you know, take ownership of something, call it their own. It's, it, it is all very, it, it's poetic, right? It's, it, there's a lot mm-hmm. of imagery to play with here. There's a lot of repetition. But I think it's a as clear a thesis, I guess we could say, as yeah. it, as the work comes to. Not that poetry needs one, uh, and that it even is probably better off if it doesn't have one. But if I had to give a quote to a stranger, let's say, that just sort of represented what this project of this group of poems is, I guess that's the project in a way. I'm not sure if you reacted yeah. to to that. And it, again, I read it as a paragraph, but it is a poem though. It just looks right. like a massive paragraph. Yeah, I, the Dear White America struck me even more than um, Summer Somewhere, which Summer Somewhere is an amazing poem. Yeah. But the Dear White America, I just, it really, really struck me. And that last line, specifically the repetition of shoot or jail, shoot or jail, that, Mm -hmm. that to me was what this work was ultimately about for sure. Yeah, and it feels maybe it and it I connected with it more too because it does feel more directly related to current events for whatever that's worth. Mm-hmm. I think the summer somewhere is more abstract and requires a lot more just mental connections. You got to thread the needle on some interpretive things in that one to to make some of the elements click in that one. This one's yeah. pretty clear. There's a reference in there in that poem also that I loved about. Oh God, it was such a brutal line. Now I'm just gonna 
pull it again. <laughs> Just give me five <laughs> seconds to get back to page yeah. 25. It, it, he's or they say sorry in in the middle i tried white people i tried to love you but you spent my brother's funeral making plans for brunch talking too loud next to his bones and i think mm-hmm. yeah I, there's the reference to brunch which is a cultural plague there's no question about it it was a yeah. for, for the past 20 <laughs> or probably 10 years it's become a really heightened weird cultural product for whatever fucking reason who knows why yeah. br- why brunch happened and i know it has a much longer history than that but it, the in the version of the last decade has become exhausting i think not only that though it, the bones thing is such a it feels earthy and kind of raw mm-hmm. and really i don't know i wanted to say ugly but not ugly in the judgmental way but ugly in the kind of you have to face this truth really brutal sort of way and yeah, yeah. the way that ended yeah i mean you're just you're it's again a juxtaposition to me you're juxtaposing this it feel, brunch feels ritzy to me. I don't know. I know it's not to everyone or whatever, but the version I've known kind of feels that way-ish. You know, you're drinking mimosas. What, what it, it is what it is. And it, it seems very bougie for sure. <laughs> yeah, and I know it doesn't have to be, and there are versions yeah. or histories of brunch that aren't that, but I don't know. That's just what it is. And so any at any yeah. rate, the, the image that was in my mind and then getting hit with the you're next to his bones, it was... Uh, really quite de- depressing and and quite true. And so, yeah, I don't know if I have a finalizing thought on that, but I um I I did enjoy right before uh the the quote that you just pulled from there the the brunch one, the the couple of lines before that um where they say I reach for black folks and touch only air your master magic trick America. Now he's breathing, now he don't. Abracadaver, white bread voodoo, sorcery you claim not to practice. Hand my cousin a pistol to do your work. That, I underlined that several times because I was just like, first of all, clever, abracadaver versus abracadava, or whatever it is. I think that's right. You're not a registered yeah. magician, is what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, I'm not. Surprising. You're going to own that right now um, on the pod? Yeah, tell the people. <laughs> But um, especially when you take into account, if you look at the overall, uh, like all the motifs um, that we find throughout the collection, there's a lot of connection between nature, earthiness with yeah. um, the black community. And then here they're saying that uh, the the white America is actually the opposite of natural, the opposite of that earthiness, right? The magic, the voodoo, the white bread voodoo, the sorcery. So all this is to show that separation and it just ties in so clever, cleverly with the other, with the motif uh, that we see throughout the poems. I just, just like, wow, this is mastery right here. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think that they are above heightening in the literary way, heightening and making allusions at the proper time. There's another quote mm-hmm. I'll pull here from Eleven, where they kind of, they, they and I can't believe I'm about to say this word again. They joke, suppose. No, they, but they do combine <laughs> a couple of things that are just incredible in, in concert the way they put them together. It reads, Last night's dream was a red June filled with our mouths, sticky with sugar. We tiny-teethed brown beasts of corner stores. Fingers always dusted Cheeto gold. Do you remember those yellow months? Our calves burned all day biking each other around on pegs, taking turns being steed and warrior. 
At the park we stormed like distant shores our little ashy wars. Shoes lit with blue sparks those summers we chased anybody who would say our names. Jump fences just to prove we could jump. And he goes on and then talks about dreaming of a world to conquer. Or they, they go on to dreaming of a world to conquer. It just feels... It feels epic in that way, but also, you know, we deserve the Trojan War mixed with Cheeto dust, I think. We as in people of 2020. You know, we deserve... Mm-hmm the corner store epic or whatever. And I think the, the way that they present it in, you know, those illusions, those references, riding on pegs, staying up too late, the calls the months yellow months or orange or whatever the description of the, you know, the sunset imagery was, it all just feels, it feels like you can touch it. You can reach out and touch it, but then there are just enough things to heighten it with the steed and the conquering and everything. And the language is just kind of epic enough to push it into that category to really i don't know make you flex your literary mind or make you you know pull references and and get those illusions so just a really i mean you know i I can't say that my version of summertime afternoon sounded all that different from theirs and i you know cheeto dust dorito dust whatever i'd spent way countless evening hours on my bike wandering you know my small janesville wisconsin hometown and so yeah very different lived experiences but something like that just hit me right in the heart and i it felt Mm -hmm. like the it felt like how it felt so i don't know if there's a better compliment for a poem than that Mm -hmm. did you find uh and i'll easily or happily will let you get into whatever quote you want did you find any connections like that to it Uh, because i think in a very rightful way or in the rightful way, I don't think I connected to a ton of these things one-to-one. That was probably the clearest moment that I did. I'm not sure if you felt Mm -hmm. that way. Yeah. For me, I guess, mm, I, I don't think that I did really see much of myself necessarily in, in that. I don't think that I had a lot of shared memories or shared, um, imagery necessarily from from when I was younger I mean that what you just quoted is probably the closest because yeah I mean I still love Cheetos and I still bike and those were definitely things that I did growing up and but also it's different in that I I grew up mostly um after elementary school and after um my dad got out of the military um we uh, were in a mostly safe neighborhood. And so I didn't have to worry about a lot of the same things that they had to worry about. So even though we might have some shared like moments of innocence, it's also like, I know that our experiences are just like vastly different in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I'm reading, that's a great reading of that. I'm, I'm not reading those warrior steed conquering as sort of, I'm reading that as teenage kid bravado. I like, I felt Mm. I felt epic in some moments, you know, riding a bike across town or halfway across town to like see a friend I could another way, you know, it felt like I was independent and I'd pulled off some quest getting across town. And, you know, of course, in reality, it was like a five minute drive, but it just, yeah, it felt very teenage <laughs> to me or, you know, young. And I guess there is a certain thread of violence and a certain height, the way he, they, the way they interpret their past, it, it does shade it and color it in a way because I know that they experienced threats and pressures that, yeah, I can't, I mean, there's never going to be a direct correlation for me, 
But right. yeah, there was something very truthful about that. The the heightened mind of a child or a teenager in that way. Any yeah. any quotes you want to throw out? I know we've been throwing some around. Uh yeah. Um, so speaking of some of the great imagery, this um, on page thirteen was so just two pages later. So the same poem, summer somewhere. Um, the imagery in this piece of the poem, this. Uh, page it was just for me it really stood out because um because it does show some of the the nature motif that i spoke about earlier and it's Mm -hmm. the the imagination the creativity that goes into creating these images i just thought i was astounded and i was just really impressed with um their work so the forest is a flock of boys who never got to grow up blooming into forever afros like maple crowns Reaching sap slow towards sky, watch forest run in the rain, branches melting into paper soft curls, duck under the mountain for shelter, watch the mountain reveal itself a boy, watch mountain and forest playing in the rain, watch the rain melt everything into a boy with brown eyes and wet gnats, the lake turns into a boy in the rain, the swamp a boy in the rain, the fields of lavender brothers dancing between the storm. So... I really loved this too because this is what I thought of as like innocence and like pure enjoyment and stuff. And it's an appreciation for and a longing for that innocence and that return to um, a natural state of, of being. So I just, I was really impressed with that particular piece of the poem. Yeah, the nature imagery was a question I was going to pose to you earlier and then didn't, but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it runs throughout. A lot of references to the nighttime and the moon as well. Sky, mm-hmm. moon, a lot of that imagery kind of persists here. I was just looking at the other page of that same poem. You know, I guess we do really like this opening poem. We did. <laughs> you know, I suppose <laughs> it's did. funny. I purposely only picked one quote quote from it because I knew it was the award winning one or the yeah, I don't know what it, it was recognized in some um, very prestigious way. But yeah, it, mm-hmm. now we can just talk about it exclusively. But on the other page, another kind of epic illusion. It says, say the word, I can make any black boy a savior, make him a flock of ravens, his body burst into ebon seraphs. This our handcrafted religion. We are small gods of redemption. We dance until guilt turns to sweat. We sweat until we flood and we drown. And then don't fret, we don't die. They can't kill the boy on your shirt again. And it, I, it's such a sorrowful thing to be given such power in one line and then, you know, become an immortal dead in the next you know it's such a paradox Mm -hmm. of you know that the life is precious and won't last but in the same sense i don't know if they mean to imply the culture will endure or the community will endure i'm not sure what their phrasing of it would be i can only give my interpretation but yeah that it's some kind of everlasting epic impressive feat of survival and godliness but then also it's just death at every turn and so I don't know. Yeah, it, t- it turns my tongue around just trying to interpret it. I think that's, yeah. and you know, I, I suppose in poetry that can be exhausting and annoying, uh, a la T.S. Eliot or something, take your pick or whatever. I don't read Sanskrit, so it's tough for me. <laughs> but and so, so thanks for that, T.S. Eliot. But um, I, I don't think it feels unapproachable in these. And I know, I guess I'm shifting into review mode, which I don't mean to, but because I, I know we're not reviewing this. If you're listening right. to this, you're either in deep or you read it. So, you know, don't have to review it for you. But it did feel, 
Yeah, I don't know. It skirts the lines in a lot of those moments. I will say this poem does, I guess, stand out in that way. This one definitely Mm -hmm. felt the most kind of epic in the tradition in that way to me and felt very heightened. Some of the other ones are, you know, like you said, there's a four choice multiple quiz poem in here. And that doesn't, it's not going to hit in the same way. And, you know, I think in a collection for better. Any other quotes you want to throw out there? Um, Just one quick one. It's on 65. It's the three lines at the bottom. And it just says, hallelujah, today I did not think about my blood. And then it's crossed out. Yeah. So here is an example of like structure being really integral to the meaning of the poem where that line crossing out is it you know, actually affects the meaning of those lines. Um, and I just thought that that was really clever because it tells us like that they are always struggling not to think about their diagnosis, but that they are always thinking about their diagnosis and how that's affecting their lives and that the diagnosis is constantly affecting their minds So and, and their lives. So I just thought that that was something that was like, very it might seem very simple on the surface but the the meaning of it is just so profound for something that's so short and just based on the structure and not about the word choice necessarily yeah and it's i think the structural components of this that are more experimental would again not be that off-putting to someone who is just a tiny bit open-minded because i think Mm -hmm. when you see for example an entire page littered with overlapping text about his blood my blood i think it did say his right i mean he genders okay they they, sorry Mm -hmm. they gendered okay i just want to make sure i wasn't confusing that and continuously fucking up these pronouns as i'm trying to do better (laughs) but okay i just want to make sure that was the right reading but anyway I don't think there's really a way to misconstrue that, but it evokes different sorts of feelings. It, you know, it feels horrifying and it gives you that skin prickly feeling, you know, it's a mm-hmm. goosebump feeling of very, it's very creepy to look at, you know, the yellow yeah. wallpaper maybe should have ended that way. Ooh, yeah. If, if only <laughs> she had known about such experimental decisions, you know, hundred years ago yeah. or whatever. I did want to at least pull one more quote for my part, and it's to touch on the other kind of major thematic component, and that's about the HIV diagnosis that they had, because again, that comes up a lot, I think. This is from uh, page 46, and they wrote, I told him what happened to my body, but all he could hear was light falling between my legs. Next time a man comes over, I'll cut, I'll cut the veins out of my arms, arrange them like cooked linguine on the kitchen table in the shape of a boy's face and say, here's what happened. So I think maybe that's, and this is not at all excuse making. I know I already said this at the top. Isn't he, they, sorry, calling themselves a boy there? Am I reading that wrong? It's sort of, or maybe they are portraying the person who gave it to them. That's the right. b- the blood vein. Yeah, that he, that's the that's the heat. Yeah. He, okay. Never mind. That makes that sense. Infected them. Yeah, and I think the evocation of these various boys in their life is what is creating my tongue twisting this evening. It's why I can't get mm-hmm. this quite right, but we'll continue <laughs> to try to do so, and that's all you can do. Yeah, be mindful and persistent. <laughs> anyway, but that it's again it mixes something so wholesome. Any, is there any more comfort food than pasta? And it, but it's so violent, <laughs> but it's so it's so uncomfortable, and mm-hmm. it and it's such a grotesque but beautiful. It's such a personal image, but kind of grotesque. And it, yeah. they as they always seem to in this collection, they're mixing notions of being hurt and harmed with love, and it just doesn't seem. 
for for better or worse i think in the collection it's portrayed as probably emotionally for the worse but they they can't seem to escape feeling love and feeling attraction without feeling pain i suppose that that is at the utter core of an of what an hiv diagnosis must be which is that mm-hmm. you you take something in your life that is only or should only be outright pleasurable i know that's not true and that is a radical oversimplification but at its core should be connective and and pure and pleasurable and makes it into something that is just like i you mentioned earlier either criminalized or outright dangerous makes it threatening and violent mm-hmm. and so yeah there i think those kinds of images are all over that one struck me i think just because of the linguini reference it's so specific and such a delicious food and at, at all every turn they are denying themselves the comfort of those things in this collection yeah i think it's interesting too because um the, taking into account that uh, they wrote that poem for michael johnson and and michael johnson was saying that he yeah. did reveal his diagnosis here they are revealing their diagnosis but they're saying that these people all they want is the 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 instant gratification that instant pleasure and so they're willing to take that risk and so if it's criminalized and if somebody can bring charges against them even because it's hearsay right like what evidence could possibly right it's it's his his versus his word right it's it's their versus their word yeah anyway so it's like he it's almost like they have to just harm themselves and put themselves in harm's way uh in this poem they're doing it physically right um but it's always a risk it seems like first revealing that diagnosis and then and then just allowing themselves to have uh, a sexual encounter is a risk um not because of another diagnosis of something but because there could be a criminal charge brought against them despite right um being open and honest so it's i think that's a an interesting poem and maybe that circles us back to the the image of being a split pig being split open that they conveyed Mm -hmm. and perhaps when sexual encounters and pleasures are so forbidden that that is the I don't know. Maybe that is the right evocative image or feeling when you finally can, when you finally are comforted by that, that you feel, I don't know, raw or torn open or that it feels, yeah, I don't know. There's some withholding aspect to it that I could see being violent. Any Mm -hmm. final quotes? I think I've given the ones I really felt strongest about, but there's plenty of others. Oh, okay. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, there's... If you've read this and you're listening, then you'll know there's uh, about a thousand other things we could unpack and just for timing and concision's sake, we'll not. But if you haven't read, then that's, I think we gave a good snippet of what is on offer here and the mm-hmm. the density, density intricacy of it. And also the intensity of it. It's quite intense. I don't, there's not, yeah. I don't know if there's a better word that could simplify it than that. I agree. We'll end this book club as we always do with some critical assistance from those who are not us. <laughs> I pulled a <laughs> review from the New Yorker in I think 2017 or 18 called Denez Smith's Ecstatic Body Language. This is, a, I think, a review of this collection, which is the only oh. thing the author speaks about. Dan uh, Chiason or Chiason wrote this. And so I'll, I'll pull some quotes from here to talk through this New Yorker piece. Just a couple of things mm-hmm. I want to hit on it's funny this is i don't know if you get this way with critics or when you 
this happens to me in movies a lot where I'll experience the movie. I don't want to take in any criticism, but then I go jump and try and read all the criticism to see what my perceptions were versus other, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This felt very affirming because the two or three poems this person talks about the most were the ones I also thought about the most. So I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> I had a similar reaction that this uh, critic did. Anyway, mm. a couple of quotes we can talk through. One of them, Smith gives us the whole arc of the experience in a length of the experience. I think he means of, of a person with an HIV diagnosis and a, a black person i was gonna say black man a black person in the united states Mm -hmm. anyway smith gives us the whole arc of the experience in a language whose pleasure shines through even the bleakest details spontaneity is the great virtue of this work but calculation is a survival skill the open-endedness of strange dowry is matched in this book by a grim determinism two things to talk about here at least that i want to talk about did you feel that it had a grim determinism or that it was maybe fatalistic? I would say so. I, I think even, I, I would say fatalistic, like almost, I would say hopeless, except for the very last line in the very last poem um, seemed to me to have a bit of perhaps hope to it. Oh, but uh, we could where... spin that one. We could We could read that one the other way, though, too. Right, yeah. I, I agree. I read it that way. I actually thought the most, in that final poem, I thought the most hopeful part was that the woman spits. I thought that, because that's the defiance of the whole work, right? That's the right. the tone of their entire thing is sort of, you can't fucking kill us, though you will continue to try. It feels like you're, you know, it feels like there's an experiment going on where you're just continuously torturing us, and you still yeah. and you're not you can't do it it can't be done or you know we're defiant mm-hmm. in that way and so i thought that part was kind of i don't know i mean it's not hopeful in terms of we're going to pass this bill and it's reparations time or whatever right. but it's hopeful in the tone of defiance i suppose yeah i thought of it as um defiant and also a taking back of self and identity in some way yeah um so that's how i read that as hopeful in that they will yeah that the group that the community will empower themselves once again well and um, i the so that i was only being a little facetious but i think the clear reading of the crawling is that mm-hmm. you know you you're there to call out these ancestors you're there to connect and then this person ended up where you are anyway they crawl out just to find mm-hmm. this and i think when you read it in concert mm-hmm. with the rest of the poems it's sort of this triumphant moment but then also you can't help but look and say yeah but look what you've crawled to congrats you made right. it you suffered all that way for this this is what we have which yeah. i you know taken in with the rest of the work i think paints something rather bleak i think if that poem were on its own it's a survival image you know like it has to be helpful then but yeah i don't know that it's so complicated i think grim determinism that was a phrase i liked in that i sort of read it similarly yeah yeah i i guess when i read that poem i wasn't taking into account the rest of the poems but for sure the other poems no matter how positive perhaps like the the tone is at the beginning of the poem by the end of the poem no matter what the poem is it's some kind of reference to either uh, a storm or upcoming violence or previous violence or right there's there's never actually a happy ending in any of the poems yeah no rest 
Certainly. Yeah. One other quote I'll throw out from this New Yorker piece, though there were other, I thought it was a pretty concise and, and quite a good review of it, but one other quote I'll pull out that we can talk about, um, the author writes, but they also know the magic trick of making writing on the page operate like the most ecstatic speech, and they are, in their cadences and management of lines, deeply literary, which is a compliment, I think, that I've already given through some of the quotes I pulled, but I only mm-hmm. wanted to pull that to say... Yeah, you just, I don't know, and I struggle to read poetry out loud, it's my own hang-ups, but you have to Google them doing it. Like, it to see them reading it, it has the kind of firebrand tone that you suspect it would be read with, but to see them do it in the in literally ecstatic speech, I, I think on the page it reads that way because the images are provocative enough, there's enough for the fourth time juxtaposition of just really contrasting aggressive things that are just bumping up against each other. And they just do the literary stuff well, so that, you know, with the complexity of thought happening, but then to see them and hear them read it, it is, I mean, it would be off putting for a lot of people. I imagine that's kind of the point. And so you, it's Mm -hmm. just very intense. It's a very intense experience. And so ecstatic, I think is the, most generous interpretation you know uh, i think if you showed someone the youtube video and just said happy friday afternoon tgif here's this video you should watch they would be quite shaken by the performance rightfully so that's the point of the art i think but at any rate i just thought that quote i don't know i again couldn't help but nod when i read that so i guess that's just me reading the fucking new yorker just nodding <laughs> uh-huh yeah oh, you're, oh okay you're smart oh, okay <laughs> oh yeah you, it's well written <laughs> anyway i didn't leave you with much to say there sorry i just trampled all over that quote but i don't know if you felt no, did you great. feel the literariness i mean you're the we only one of us is the master so <laughs> did you feel that in when you were reading it too Oh, a hundred percent. And that's uh, one of the things that I really appreciated about um, this collection. Like I studied um, classic literature and I find myself kind of struggling more with contemporary literature, especially uh, literature that plays with structure a lot of the time because that like postmodern stuff can be uh, kind of pretentious in a lot of ways, in my opinion, but they did such an amazing job and everything had a specific reason for being structured in that particular way uh that it didn't bother me and i really appreciated everything that they did in this collection so uh, literary is definitely something is definitely an adjective i would use to describe this collection yeah no question and amanda for your critical assistance what did you pull what do you want to talk through here um, I pulled a um, a reading from The Guardian, and it's called Don't Call Us Dead by Denise Smith Review, Hope and Resistance and Rebirth. Um, and I just agreed, actually, with a lot of what uh, this... Um, this reviewer was saying, um, and they said, Smith's precise imagery is etched by an ear accustomed to live performance, which is something that um, you had mentioned. I didn't, I haven't seen any of his live performance stuff, but I am very interested in reading their stuff or seeing their stuff rather. Yeah. Uh, The results are tremendously moving and exalting and long for acknowledgement of historical pain. Smith's plea, Call Us Alive, resonates elsewhere with an insistence on naming and the knowledge that whoever is speaking retains power over language. And I thought 
that last bit about the power of her language was really interesting. And I had to kind of think back on uh, this collection to think about um, where that naming is and how that the the idea of language is important. Um, but they do in a couple of poems, like list a few of the Trayvon Martin and others. Yeah, and Tamir Rice um, too. And uh, I bet if we, right. yeah, anyway, there, it, it is explicitly connected to current events. It's not even, it's not some hinted at thing. It is the text. Right. Yeah, it is. And the importance of not remaining anonymous and Smith, like specifically like a, a couple of the poems actually discuss how, uh, the person is no longer a person, but is this politicized, um, like, object now that right, right. the name is no longer a personal name, but is now um, a part of, like, just the movement, right? So the loss of, even though maybe it'll help with the movement, this is a loss of that person all over again. Um, yeah. I just thought that that was a really insightful uh, comment by this particular writer. Yeah, and that shows up too in the text. And I remember they mentioned things like, I can't read any more hashtags or I'm sick of the." Ha-. There's some reference to that in mm-hmm. at least one of the poems, maybe a couple of them. It seems that the the modern day kind of mourning culture, the thoughts and prayers culture, the social media, give me 180 characters to air my grievance for this culture right. uh, is quite exhausting and meaningless to them. Which and they seem mm-hmm. to call that out pretty explicitly too. Yeah. Any other thoughts from that uh, critical piece? Any other quotes? Um. Yeah. Sure. Uh, this just very quickly. Smith's ability to look death squarely in the eye and seize from it language that is fertile with myth, beauty, and intellect is astonishing. Um. There's the the collection's thematic pivot on which any hope for national or personal redemption turns to face itself speaks urgently for change. Smith deserves a willing and sympathetic audience, one that is already swiftly building to hear it. Uh, But one also hopes this book reaches readers who will have the courage to acknowledge their arbitrary power and privilege. And so I agreed with the... um, the the amazing language uh throughout this collection and the last part of that um where the author was talking about um smith deserves an audience that kind of is like open-minded and willing to listen but then specifically points out to reach readers who will have the courage to acknowledge their arbitrary power and privilege i was like hmm one of the things that when we read um, Octavia's Brood, one of the yeah. the stated reasons for collecting that collection was to uh, create a change, to to spearhead a change, to uh, help with the movement in a way. Yeah. Um, and we had talked about how would we give that book to somebody who did not agree um, with the movement, with Black Lives Matter and, and other um, movements uh, akin to that. And... We were like, mm, probably not, because that would not necessarily change their minds, right? right. So yeah. something like this, though, I, I stopped to think about that. And, and I was like, would I would I give this to someone who didn't already agree with the idea that, you know, things need to change within these communities? Um, and I don't know. I, I still am kind of 
puzzling over that. I don't know how you feel. I can about only that. aggressively and cynically say there's no way. There's no way. Okay. I don't. It's. I don't know. It's the contradiction of beautiful art or something like this, where, or it's the paradox of it or something where. I, you would hope that I, there's two, I guess, oh, let me back up. There's so much happening in my brain. There two main layers <laughs> to unpack. The first is, could a person unpack the kind of literary appreciation of this, let's say if they stopped reading after high school graduation, which I think is a fairly realistic state of mind for a chunk of people, like a not insignificant mm-hmm. chunk of people. Or, you know, they're a, a one or two book a year, like they'll get into a bestseller, they'll get into a really famous autobiography, or you know what I mean? I, right. Would they would they put up with this? I don't know. They may have been so poisoned in high school English 102 or whatever that mm-hmm. it could just be they approach this work and think, what the fuck is this talking about? <laughs> I, and mm-hmm. there's enough direct and explicit stuff in here where you would hope that's not true. Then again, you know, if you're not willing to meet the text on its terms, yeah, of course you're going to turn away cold. So that's barrier one. And then, of course, barrier two is what you, the aforementioned. And I think the quote, you know, it is fertile with myth, beauty, and intellect. It's also, I would say I was pretty astonished by parts of it. I thought there were poems in here I responded to 0%, but we've talked about essay collections, nonfiction collections, and fiction collections. That's pretty right, I think, for any collect. Like, if I respond to everything in a collection, that is so rare. Most of the time right. I'm looking for some real gems to hit me hard. And then a bunch of it, I shrug and think, I don't have any thoughts on that at all. I didn't respond to that. That Then this hit that sweet spot for me too. So I don't know. I struggle with this. I, I hope so. I mean, that's our whole project here. What we're doing with this, not only these collections, but just like doing the podcast at all is of course built on the hope that there's enough people out there hoping to read thoughtfully and engage with, you know, idea, uh, you know, maybe right. the whole thing is fruitless or whatever. Um, it's <laughs> the nihilism of it all, but I don't know. I can't yeah. help it. I see that quote and I think, okay, imagine a person who has no interest in the black lives matter movement, or I guess just the general current issues relevant to African-Americans, right? Would they have mm-hmm. the courage to acknowledge their arbitrary and power and privilege? I don't know if this is the way. I like this mm-hmm. is such a tough sell for that group of. I don't. I don't know. With the how about this? Right? Would the alternative be appealing to you if somebody's like, go read these Anne Rand poems now and shut up or whatever? <laughs> like, I don't, <laughs> I don't even know if she wrote poetry. She's my favorite scapegoat for really stupid libertarians. But anyway. <laughs> Um, but so I don't know, but I know that wouldn't work on me. At least I guess I can say I tried, you know, I can say like, Mm -hmm. I've read enough of things in that tradition. I think to, I feel like my judgments have been rendered. I guess it's a broader, like political philosophical question, but would you, if somebody handed you, I don't know, man, like who is the person getting a Kelly Loeffler in Georgia or who, who's like a famous right intellectual poet? Does the people on the right even write poetry? (laughs) <laughs> they don't fund the arts. Question. They don't fund the arts, so I'm assuming no. <laughs> Their poets have died out. <laughs> there are no poets because they defunded all of them uh, aggressively too. <laughs> a lot of economists, though. At any rate, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Like if Bill O'Reilly, like if somebody's like, yeah, but read the Bill O'Reilly poems. I'll read. I'll read Denise Smith's. You read Bill O'Reilly. Like, would you do that? No. I, right. <laughs> it's tough. I. I, I like to think I did the equivalency of that is all I can say. And I guess that's how people end up entrenched. Maybe I'm entrenched too. But I, yeah, I would not be that tempted by that. That's for sure. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a tough ask. I can only hope that we we put this broadcast out and appeal to people reading these poems to again I don't politically I don't that's not how we think of the show and I don't would certainly never promote it in with those terms explicitly but I just can't help but think there's so much in the project we're doing here that is implicit that I just don't see the Venn diagrams overlapping a ton I don't know mm-hmm. maybe it's cynical I, I feel like there's so much more neutral pop culture media to do that pro to do that aim with. Like, I would hope the Marvel movies could maybe teach someone about empathy. Fuck. Like, that that's where we're at, I guess. Like, that's my hope. Like, fucking maybe <laughs> oh, great. maybe Iron Man dying will teach someone that sacrificing yourself for the, for others is good. <laughs> like, I don't know. We can start there, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> what else do we hope for? Um, that's yeah. not exactly a complex idea, but I, all I can do is shrug and, I guess, hold out hope for that, you know? And Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a long-winded answer to say no. But I, yeah, I read that and it, I do hope for it, though. I guess I can say that the way the sentence is yeah. written, right? Hopes, hopes it will reach those people. Yo, it will not. But I mm-hmm. will hope that it will. We we will continue to do our small part or whatever. Right. Yeah. Trying to end it not so cynically, I guess. <laughs> who who in your life would you give this collection to? You don't have to name them uh, by their name, but. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you, I feel like I could give this to uh, some cousins of mine. My, I mean my brother, but my brother and I are pretty much on the same wavelength in, in many things. So, you know, I could give this to my, I don't know that I struggle because my family's all pretty, pretty lined up like ducks in a row. So I don't, I don't, I have a hard time, you know, pulling someone. Right. Yeah. I don't, I'm not sure. Cause I think that a lot of our friends would be open to it and, um, not that I'm thinking of like your your roommate and also um, yeah right. Eric. It, they don't necessarily enjoy uh, reading poetry say, much anymore. <laughs> the yes, our, the friends we are both thinking of would fail layer one that I described or test one or how <laughs> yeah. many, like they would just think I don't want to read this anymore. High school AP English is over. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I, yeah, I'm done with that, and that's fine. I don't you know, but this does hit those notes and fall into that sort of camp. So. Mm-hmm. it's the classic uh, sort of artist appreciation dilemma of I want to only live in a world. Well, granted, I mean this in terms of the form, not in terms of the message, but I do want to live in a world where this, this art can exist and mm-hmm. continue to exist. Though I acknowledge that it's not, it's a, it's a precarious world that we're, we're hardly supporting art like this at all. And so, you know, it's, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's the medium for it anymore, but I am very appreciative that we are in a time and place where the, uh, that they can make this, that it gets published, that we can buy it and, mm-hmm. you know, talk about it as best we are able to. Yep. Yeah, it's precarious, though. Any final thoughts on the Dennis Smith collection? I think I tallied my misuse of pronouns to be at about 15, which I think comes in <laughs> below the better's nut line. <laughs> my apologies <laughs> thoroughly and sincerely. Again, I feel all I can do is be mindful and aggressive and, you know, trying to self-improve. So we got to listen to that in real time. And that was, again, a very late, late revelation for me. I, that was, yeah, anyway. But I yeah. thanks for putting up with it. I think we did our best in that regard. And any yeah. other final thoughts on the collection? Uh, just I really enjoyed it, and I I think going back to your question of who would I recommend this to, um, I, I think yeah. back on my um, my classmates when I was doing my master's program, 
And I feel like the majority of them would be interested. So if any English major um, would, I think, appreciate not only the literary aspect of this, but just the uh, the themes and stuff. Everything is just really well done. So yeah, yeah. I think it's a, it's a very enjoyable work, and I would recommend it to anybody who is open to reading poetry. <laughs> you and I are also afflicted with teacher brain, and my teacher yeah. brain says, in a curriculum, pair this with the coats. Give them the coats mm-hmm. to open them up. That That is also not a work I would say is hyper approachable in terms of right. if someone is coming in dead neutral, they have not thought about black American experience since high school civics or whatever. Like if they're coming in from that mindset and they're like, I don't even read the news. What's going on? Uh, who cares? I'm it's fine. I got a, my job. I'm good. I don't, I'm not worried. Um, if they come in in that dead neutral way, I, the coats is already, I think even a bit of an ask, but is at least nonfiction. And so this would be the, the pairing, right? This would be the, right. the natural follow-up to say, if you now want to explore the emotive state of being that you now maybe have an now you know it exists. I was going to say they understand it. They certainly wouldn't understand, but they would at least know that it exists. Then you could mm-hmm. say, okay, well now delve into the, the, here are some sort of provocative emotive things that hopefully they can help you understand. Yeah. Yeah. A really thought provoking final entry into this informal collection we've been putting together and assembling really worthwhile read in the end if you stuck with us through this whole episode and haven't read it go get a copy support arts that should exist but probably won't in a hundred years it'll all be iron you'll read the iron man version of this in 30 30 years <laughs> oh, i don't God, even know no. that yeah it's like it's like impossibly stupid take by me but you know whatever <laughs> we can only hope that the marvel movies continue to generate empathy though i will say this is a final aside this is totally off topic but have you seen, I feel like this comes up on Twitter every now and again, and I politically, I feel like this is usually people, um, people on the right of things usually get tangled up in this, but have you seen these horrific misinterpretations of classic movies and stories that have happened in recent political no. time? They, they just say things, there was one of them, gosh, I'm trying to think of this. You know what it was? The one I most recently saw, but there's, there's a bunch of these if you can find them. One of them was a political commentator on the right saying, we are assembling, like, we are assembling the Death Star. We will defeat the Democratic, I think this, this, well, I know, but this was in the election times (laughs) when they were saying things like, and they evoked the name, like, literally, it's a direct allusion. It's not like a metaphor. They're like, we have the Death Star. Our campaign is the Death Star. We will defeat. And it's like, man, my confidence in your ability to interpret fiction has just dropped to zero. Like, that is... (laughs) such a deep misreading of the of the work that it's like we can't even engage <laughs> i don't you didn't even read the thing i get it's a film but like reading the meaning correctly in any regard i don't it's yeah. exp- they blow them up twice <laughs> like i don't what do you do even if you wanted to think like the death star was cool and they should have kept it in the go empire it's like yeah but the movie they fail every time like what do you what yeah. is the reading you're giving of this movie <laughs> But I, and there's another example I saw on Twitter the other day, similar to that, where somebody you're just quote tweeting this person. If it's like, did you even understand that story in any way? You know, like, oh my god. <laughs> I, so it's like I don't even know where to start. I guess if we're starting there, um, yeah. Yeah. So I do. I hesitate to recommend for that explicit political purpose. You know what I mean? But we can mm-hmm. only hope that um, other mediums, other messages will get the point across. 
At any rate, okay. Any final thoughts on this iteration of the book clubs, Amanda, again? Nope, I'm good. Well, well chosen. It was an honor to do the collection here. We really did assemble a bunch of interesting and, and really great works. I think we chose uh, pretty well. And even Octavius Brood, now in my mind, it. I don't know. I feel like it was good to talk about, that's for sure. I won't regret yeah, that at all. It was certainly illuminating, and um, the rest of the things we inducted into this class feel pretty amazing so go read colson whitehead and tanahasi coates and now dennis smith who else is in there i know we're missing people um yes um mcbride james mcbride. Uh, james mcbride and the maybe the sneak favorite in there uh jesmine ward forgot about yeah, her can't forget about that that was rather intense that would pair well yeah. with this one too though those are both high bars to i think <laughs> that's mm-hmm. it's just a big ask you know yeah Okay, well, we are going to sign off of this book club. Uh, we do have new projects in the works for the pod, which we will. there will be an episode in this feed very soon, if you're hearing this probably in like three or four weeks, re-announcing, relaunching what we're doing. We are completely redesigning our project, though, frankly, not, not as radically as it may sound. The radical thing is we're going to pick books that you can buy and actually are interested in, maybe. <laughs> but in terms of our technique and the processes and stuff, it's going to be kind of similar. But we'll announce that there will be a little mini reintroduction episode going up. So look for that in the feed. We'll continue to do reviews until then. And thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye.